Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. My name is Jennifer Blackwood. If I haven't met you, I'm part of the pastoral team here at City Life. And we've been on this series of virtues, as you saw. And a couple weeks ago, Monica talked about how virtues are kind of like the filter, how we present ourselves to where, to the places that we go and how we represent Christ. I loved how she said that. You know, it's like we actually represent Christ. We bear his image and we're meant to represent him where we go. And whether that's for you, that's, that's a classroom at school that's frustrating or annoying or you're being bullied and you can actually represent Christ there. Or it's a workplace that has a lot of drama and a lot of tension, you can represent Christ there. If it's a broken home or family issues, you can represent Christ there in your situation. And that's what God calls us to do is represent him. You know, John 17, 18 says that God actually sent Jesus to the world and now we are sent to the world to represent Christ. Now, that's a great privilege, but a great responsibility as well, and is kind of a little bit daunting because it's like, I'm not Jesus at all. I am not perfect, yet because of Christ, he can live through us, and he can show off the awesomeness of God through us. Isn't that amazing? That's how awesome our God is, that we can represent him to the world. Well, this morning, I am going to look at the virtue of loyalty. Loyalty. Now, how many of you in this room and in watching online, you can put a thumbs up, would say, I'm basically a loyal person? Are you basically loyal? Yeah. I feel like I'm a loyal person. And how many of you would also agree that in our culture, loyalty is an issue? Yes. Yes, and this is where the tension lies. Most people would consider themselves basically loyal, yet we see that loyalty is a major issue in our culture. I mean, you only have to go on social media for a minute to see that everybody's following this person. You know, this person can do no wrong, and they're just like, whatever they say is just gold. And then they say one thing that offends you or one thing that, that doesn't meet some type of cultural norm or code, and then canceled. Like Pastor Mike said last week, you know, the flavor of the week, and it's this cancel culture that, oh, we love it until we don't. <laughs> and it kind of is this here today, out tomorrow, and that's the way that we live in our culture. And so there's definitely an issue with loyalty. Now, before I jump into, I want to use a story of the Bible today because it's one of the stories that came to my mind first thing when I was thinking of loyalty. So I want to read it with you today and look at the truth of loyalty that comes through this story. But before I do, I just want to pray because, you know, this is the infallible word of God. And the word of God, it's a promise that when it goes out, it can do something in your hearts. And my words are fall short when it comes to being able to transform someone's life or how they live, but God's word doesn't. 
it actually can do something. So I just want to pray, as I've prayed for you this, the last couple weeks even, and I'll pray for you in this moment. God, we just thank you that you are here, that your presence is here, and that, God, as your word goes forward, that it would transform hearts. God, you are the one who works on hearts, and we just pray right now for open hearts, soft hearts, to receive your message this morning, that lives could be changed from this day forward. We just bless your name and pray that you are glorified in all of this, in your name, amen. God is so good, and he continues to work in us. It's so awesome. So the story of Ruth is where I'm going to go today, and I have to give you a little bit of a premise. I'm a bit of a spaghetti thinker. I think in these waves, you know, most women would understand. It's like we have conversations, and if you jumped in in the middle, you're like, I don't know where we are right now. But we somehow loop around to the end, and it makes sense. Yes? Okay. But I I understand that there's also those compartment waffle thinkers. You know, you got your boxes. And I also want to give you a few boxes that you can slide in. As I go through this story, you can fill in these boxes. And the three major points, yes, right? The man is saying, yes, thank you. And these are your three headings in in your notepaper or on your phone that you can put on there and then fill in as we go is loyalty will Loyalty requires faith. Loyalty will cost you. And loyalty will bring blessing. So so, those three things, it will require faith, it will cost you, and it will bring blessing. And we're going to see that as we read through the story of Ruth. So we're going to start in chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can open it. If you have a YouVersion app on your phone, you also can start Ruth in chapter 1, it says, in the days where the, when the judges ruled. Now, whenever we read stories in the Bible, it's so important to know what char- where the characters are in the story. What are they surrounded by? What's happening when these people are living? And, and why does that, that affects how they live, right? And what's happening around them. So in the days when the judges ruled. Now, during this time period, it was pretty dark. There was no king, and man did what was right in his own eyes. That was kind of the theme over this time period of the judges. And I would say for us, you know, the whole follow your heart, you do you, you know, live your truth. I feel like we have a little bit of a similar mantra in the sense of you do what feels right for you. And that's the time of the judges. And it was a very dark time, and in, in this history, you see it where God's people, the Israelites, this is after God has freed them from Egypt, from slavery. They've done some laps in the wilderness, and now they're in the promised land, and they're still taking over some territory. But even in the promised land, there is still these waves of man did evil, and there was, you know, all this mess, and then God would raise up a judge and be like, hey guys, remember, remember God, the one who saved you and set you free and brought you to this promised land? He's still here, so you need to cut down your gods that you're worshiping and idols and return to God, and there was a time of peace. And so there was all these ups and downs in the time of the judges. Now, in this time period, it says there was a famine in the land. So there was a famine everywhere. And if you can imagine, like, in my mind, this is like 300 toddlers without food and with no one in charge. I don't want to live there. It's chaos. 
That's anarchy. This is hangry children with no one in charge. Bad idea. So that's kind of the time that they find themselves in, the, the characters in our story. It says, a man from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, which I think is cool because we'll get there um, it, it, as we go, in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to making decisions, sometimes we base it just on what's most convenient, yes? And that's kind of what happens here. It's like, here's a family, they're feeling the pressure. Even though they're in the promised land, even though they're, they're where God's people are, they're part of God's people, his family, they're like, I'm uncomfortable, I need to get out of here. When things get tough, sometimes our loyalties shift. And we sometimes need to stay. Actually, often loyalty requires us to stay. Sometimes we need to go, but often it requires us to stay. But because our God is so good, he works it all together for good. Isn't that awesome? That no matter what you choose, as you lean into him, he will work it out. And the, this family decided to come for a while, you know, just was just going to be short term, till we can find some food, which turns into at least a decade for this family. Does that ever happen to anybody? It's like, this was a starter home. We're still living in it 13 years later. It's just what happens. You make the choice, and sometimes that's where you end up, yes? And in Moab, that was, this is another point that you need to know of history, is that the Moabites were actually enemies to the Israelites, God's people. So this isn't just a neutral city. This isn't just like, oh, I got a better job in Red Deer, so I'm moving from Leduc to Red Deer. It's like, it's like moving to like the ghetto in New York or something. That's like the culture, things are very different there, dangerous actually. And so this family, for some reason, has decided to move here because, again, there's famine, so, they, so they've come here. And this family moves, and they, they live in Moab. And then it says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, this is devastating. This would be devastating in any time period. But in this time period, in a patriarchal society, if you did not have a husband or a father, you were not doing well. You were kind of at the mercy of everyone else to be able to beg for food. There was no one to carry on your family line, which was basically the purpose the reason you're alive is to carry on this family generation after generation. So if your husband dies and now sons are gone, now these women are destitute and they're in a place where they have to make a decision. So then we go on, uh, verse 6 says, when Naomi heard that in Moab, uh, or when she was in Moab, that the Lord had, had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So, if you can imagine, in Bethlehem, the house of bread, God has returned to provide for his people. Has it ever happened to you where your family is experiencing a blessing because you've left and you're like, hey, that's my family or that's my friend I did life with. Why are they getting this blessing? I should be there. That's my people. That's my family. And so, so she hears, I don't know, the carrier pigeons were really squawking and she knew that there was food back in Bethlehem. 
So what is she going to do? She's going to prepare because now she has just her and her two daughters-in-law, and they are going to return home to the land of Judah, which means praise. It was time to return back to praise. I love that. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And she continues to urge her daughters-in-law. She says, she says, return home, return home, even if I thought there was still hope for me. She is hopeless. And even though the girls say, no, we'll come back with you, she keeps urging them, no, go back to your father's house. Because guess what? Again, that is where you will now have a covering again. You will come under your father. You will hopefully find a new husband. You will have a future. A hope and a future will come if you return back to your, your family. And so Naomi keeps urging them. And as, at this, they wept aloud again. So this was an emotional moment of these women who have spent a decade together being doing life together and hoping together for the future of their family. And now everything has changed. And so Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Now what Orpah does is not evil. This is not wrong. This is actually sensible. It's calculated. She's making a wise decision because it's like, well, you do have nothing for me, so I am going to go back to my family and hopefully carry on my family name but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Because Naomi knew, I have nothing to offer you. There is nothing I can promise you. But Ruth replied, and this is just like the crux of the loyalty message right here. And I'm sure you've heard this scripture before, but it's so powerful when you know this story, how it's coming through. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. This is like a marriage vow. Talk about loyalty. Loyalty will require faith. She is stepping out in faith. There is no guarantee here. Actually, very much the opposite. There is no promise of, oh, it'll all work out. It's going to come through. You'll be fine. No, this is where she's saying, I am with you. I am loyal to you. No matter what it costs me, loyalty will cost you. It will cost you the familiar, your, your home sometimes, and what you feel like, oh, just the comforts. Loyalty will call you out and say, stick with me because I will bring a blessing. And Naomi said, uh, she realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, and so she stopped urging her. So these two women, they geared up and they did, it was like over 2,000 kilometers to get to Bethlehem. Like, this is not just a whoop, we're not on a bus or a train, this is actually walking. And these women go to Bethlehem, and it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Moabite, daughter-in-law, foreigner. That's what she is. 
She is entering into a new land. These are not her people. These are not people she doesn't even know if they're going to accept her. She's a foreigner, and she has come as a daughter-in-law. It's like she had a choice. You have no right to be here. This is our promised land. She didn't know what she was going to come up against, but they arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is a seed of hope. We hear that the ground which they lived their lives by, we don't understand that as much now today, but they lived their, their calendar was based on what the ground was doing. And the ground was producing again. There was provision from this land, the land of inheritance that they were given as God's people. It's now bringing this harvest. So there's good things that are gonna happen. We believe, and there's another seed of hope we hear about at the beginning of chapter 2. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, there is another seed of hope right there, because there is two laws that I want to tell you about from the Old Testament. And this was God's law that he gave to his people. And you can read about it um, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Leviticus 23, it talks about this idea of gleaning. So gleaning was this practice that God's people were meant to do when it came to their land. So they were to harvest their land, but they were meant to leave some bits on the edges so that foreigners widows, the poor, could, could take from the leftovers and be able to feed themselves and potentially their family. So that was God's law. God's law always made provision for the foreigners, for the destitute, for the poor, poor for those who were left out or, or who were um, out, out, of the pro- out, out of the promise that he had given, he always made an allowance for them. And so there was this gleaning. It wasn't like nowadays you have a combine, you put in your GPS, and it goes, and it, you don't miss a grain. But in that time period, it was all by hand, and they would leave some for those coming behind them. So there was that law, and there was also the law you can read about in Deuteronomy 25 about the guardian redeemer. Now, the guardian redeemer was someone in the family line who could now cover this woman if she lost her husband. So if my husband died, I would now become under the covering of my brother-in-law. Good luck, Mark, wherever you are. I'm a handful. I come with four children. Okay. <laughs> but the truth is, is that's what would happen. You just, that was the law. You just took over and you helped them. And that's what God, again, was making this provision that these women would be protected and provided for. So Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. Her and Naomi have settled in Bethlehem. She goes to glean to get some food. And she's out gleaning and she ends up gleaning in Whose field? Yes, Boaz's field. And Boaz was from the clan of Elimelech, which was Naomi's husband. This is all good news. Ruth doesn't realize it, but she's out and she's gleaning. And Boaz notices her. He notices her. And do you know what he has heard? He's heard of her loyalty. Boaz says to her, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. 
that loyalty that cost you greatly. And he says, I believe it'll bring a blessing. May the Lord repay, repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You have stepped out in faith, Ruth. I see you. I see your character of loyalty. I see that, that you have not only chosen to be loyal to your mother-in-law, you have said you are loyal to these people. You are loyal to this covenant God that you had only heard about from Malon, your husband, only heard about from Naomi, but you have faith in this God. You have said, I will be loyal to this God, to this people, to my mother-in-law. And it caused blessing to flow over Ruth's life, which is so powerful. There's so much in here, but we'll keep it going. It is so great. And so she gleans in the field. She goes home to Naomi, and she's got all this, these all this grain, and Naomi's like, wow, you know, you've been doing well. You know, whose field, where were you today? And she's like, oh, I was gleaning in Boaz's field. And, and Naomi's like, what? Boaz's field? He is a guardian redeemer for our family. It's like, and Ruth's like, okay, great. I, yeah, that's wonderful. But Naomi knows the weight of, of this choice that she has made. And Boaz was so honorable with Ruth. He, he made sure it's like, you stay in this field so that you don't end up harmed. Because in a time period where man did what was right in his own eyes, there was so much exploitation and abuse, especially of women who were vulnerable. And, and so Boaz was the right place to show up in at the right time, and Naomi knew it. And not only was he a man of standing that would make sure she wouldn't be harmed, he was a potential hope for their future. He was a potential redeemer for their family. And so that is kind of as it goes forward, Naomi says to Ruth, she says, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get all gussied up, and you're going to smell good, you're going to look good, and you're going to go to Boaz when he's sleeping, and you are going to do all these things. And she lists them out. And again, in a testament to her loyalty, Ruth says, to Na Ruth says to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. She trusted her mother-in-law would do what was best for their family. And what is so beautiful is the selfless act of Ruth to say that I, will, I want your family to be redeemed. She, it wasn't out for herself. It was because of the love and loyalty she had for her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. Not her mother. Her mother-in-law. Maybe that's a word for you today. It's just <laughs> important to remember that love goes in all directions to all people if we just lean in. And she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. She went, and she went to where Boaz was. He was sleeping, and she went and uncovered his feet. I don't know all the details of what it means. And she went and laid at his feet. And in the middle of the night, Boaz is like, Whoa, you know, hello, why, who's there? And she's just like, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Tell me that you are going to cover me. And what does Boaz do? In a time period when man did what was right in his own eyes, a woman is laying at his feet and saying, basically marry me. And he 
says to her, my daughter, I will cover you. I will make sure that your family is redeemed. He could have done anything, and no one would have said anything about it. But yet, this man of standing, who is the guardian redeemer for their family, or could be, he says, I will cover you. I will make sure that you are redeemed. But just so you know, there is one other person who comes before me in this line because there was an order. With God, there's always an order. And so there was a number one, and Boaz was number two. So Boaz is like, stay here for, for now, and I will make sure, I will do what I need to do to make sure that your family is restored. Like, how amazing. You need to read this whole story. I read the whole story to my son when I tucked him into bed last night. It's like, 14 minutes of your life and you will be so blessed. I mean, in your romantic Hallmark mind, if it's like mine, you're thinking it's this, you know, beautiful woman who shows up and this, you know, handsome man and he just like, I I love her and I need to make sure and take care of her. But he actually was just super loyal to God's law. He was just a really good man, an honorable man like we talked about last Sunday. He was a man of honor. And it also says that, the, that Ruth was a woman of noble character. These are virtuous people who are honoring God and staying loyal to his law. And that's why he's going to redeem her, not because he has feelings for her, which I think is a great, you know, you could, you could pretend, right? Okay. <laughs> So Boaz meets with this guy who's first in line to redeem their family, and this guy basically says, I want the land but not the women, so if I can't have, you know, if I have to have both, it's just going to mess up my own family dynamics, so you do it. So whatever it cost, Boaz said, I will do it. And that is what he did. And it says that, 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 that Boaz acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. So because of Ruth's loyalty, not only was her family and, the, and her family line restored, but it also says, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he made love to her. See, now there's feelings. There's definitely feelings. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Isn't that beautiful? That because of Ruth's loyalty to her mother-in-law, she stepped out in faith, knowing it cost her greatly. It did cost her greatly, but she received a blessing. Not only her family line, it's like, oh great, you know, I'll have sons for my mother-in-law. But she also was grafted into the family line of They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And guess who David's line leads down to? Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Ruth said, I will go with you wherever you go. She was grafted into the greatest blessing that this world has ever received of Jesus himself. And what I think is so beautiful is that Boaz was the son of a woman named Rahab. And Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was grafted into God's family because of her act of obedience. And you wonder if, if as Boaz saw this foreigner coming into this field, if he was moved knowing that, you know what, I'm here 
because someone grafted her in and said she belongs. And I want to extend the same to this woman who's a foreigner. God has always made a way that foreigners, that Gentiles, that those are, are outside of, you know, what, what should be the, all the great check marks. And he says, I want all of you to be part of this family. I want to make sure that you know that there is a way for you to be grafted in to this family. And that is exactly what Boaz did. And we know that because of her loyalty, there was a great blessing. We get to be part of that blessing because of what Christ has done. You know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came that we might have life, that we might be restored into relationship with him. He extended his grace to a place that said, you foreigner, you sinner, you one who is, uh, is outside of perfection. You know, that first guy who was supposed to redeem Ruth, he was, he was the law. He represents the law. And God's law is what we didn't quite make it. We couldn't quite live up to that law. But number two was the great grace and mercy of our Jesus Christ who came and died for us so that we could all have a place in this family. He is so good. And as we are loyal to him, first and foremost, there is a blessing that comes. And it'll cost us. It'll require faith. But there is a blessing that comes as we follow and we serve him. He is good. And will continue to be our good father. Why don't you stand to your feet together today as we just take this last moment even to just pray and believe that, that God is not only here with us, but he wants relationship with us. He wants you to come and be part of his family. And maybe you've, you've said yes to being part of his family before or following him. Or maybe today is that day for you. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that. As we just remind ourselves again that God does work for our good. And as we lay ourselves at the feet of a great Redeemer, He will cover us in the shadow of His wings. It says, in the, at those who take refuge in the shadow of His wings means that God can cover you now as you surrender, as you lay yourself at His feet. He will cover you. Let us pray these words together. You can repeat after me. Jesus, thank you that you are a redeemer, that you came to cover me in all that I am, my past and my present, you have forgiven me and you have set me free to follow you, to bring you glory, to walk as your image bearer. I wanna reflect you, Jesus, to my world in your name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc nextstep or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. 
It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.